This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by Epsigon. This week, I chat with Nicole Yip about continuously improving serverless standards at the Lego Group. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 82. I'm Jeremy Daly, and this is Serverless Chats. Today, I'm chatting with Nicole Yip. Hey, Nicole, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So you are an engineering manager at the Lego Group. So I'd love it if you could tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background and what you do at the Lego Group. Sure. So as you said, I'm an engineering manager. Um, I have joined the company about a year and a half ago um, as a senior infrastructure engineer, and then moved up to, to engineering manager. And I've joined in the direct shopper technology team. So we look after www.lego.com, all of the pages where you're browsing for products, um, completing your order through checkout and redeeming VIP vouchers. That's um, that's what my team looks after. And specifically, I look after the platform. So I head up the, the platform squad there where we look after the infrastructure and hosting, uh, developer experience, CI, CD, security and, and operations of the site. So quite a big remit there. Um, and specifically, my background is in AWS and um, managing production workloads. Um, and and yeah, that's that's really where my interest is and, and what I'm doing at the Lego Group. Awesome. Well, so I'm super excited that you are here because I love the Lego Group, not just because I loved Legos as a kid, um, but also because, um, you know, I, I started talking with Sheen Brizzles a long, long time ago. And, um, you know, he was so super excited about the whole serverless process and, and, and just building things with serverless. Um, and so it was it was really interesting to hear the process that the Lego Group has gone through. And it's been, I think, over a year since I talked to him on the show here. And so I, I'd love to set the stage here because there is this talk that you gave uh, at uh, Serverless Days Virtual recently about sort of this audit process that you do at the Lego Group in order to make sure that you're sort of following best practices with serverless and that you're always kind of upgrading. Um, and I want to get into that, but I think to set the stage for everybody to sort of know just how serverless the Lego Group is, um, maybe you could give us just a quick timeline of, of where it started and sort of where you are now from a serverless perspective in your engineering group. Yeah, sure. So the story starts a little bit before I joined uh, back in 2017 when uh, we we had it, it was kind of the an event that was the last straw, the the straw that broke the camel's back, so they say. Um, and and yeah, so there was a launch event that was highly anticipated. We didn't survive, um, and and that led to us looking at options that weren't on premise, that that weren't hosted on premise. So. We started back in, in 2018 actually scoping out serverless and, and AWS and seeing if it would work for us. So we migrated a single user-facing service and a couple back-end services over to the cloud, got them running, and, and they were handling um, high-season traffic by the end of 2018. And so, yeah, fully in production and, and ready to go. And that then led on to us making the entire lego.com uh, site serverless. So the, the pages that I mentioned that are within our team's remit, we moved all of them into Fargate instances and serverless Lambda functions. And so the only on-premise system we have is our source of truth, our, our warehousing system, and we've wrapped that up in Lambda functions. So we only talk to that asynchronously. 
Nice. So now, where are you now? You mentioned uh, Fargate. Um, you've grown the number of engineers that are working in serverless. So, like, where are you? Just you know, rough numbers. Like, how many Lambda functions do you have? Things like that. Oh, this is fun. So, so we had four Lambda functions in 2018 um, during Black Friday, Cyber Monday. In 2019, which was last year, we had just gone fully serverless. The, the, the platform was um, handling high season levels of traffic. And at that point, we had four Fargate instances, and I think it was 36 serverless services. And a serverless service can be made up of many Lambda functions. I think we had around 150 to 200 Lambda functions. No, I think it was around 150 Lambda functions in production at that time. And now that we've gone through another Black Friday, Cyber Monday, high season period, we're now over 260 Lambda functions in production with over 56 serverless services and still the same original four Fargate services. So we're growing pretty quickly. <laughs> I would say. So So um, going back to the engineers, because this is another thing that, um, that sort of fascinates me is how different companies sort of... Uh, uh, group engineers together to manage different services and to make sure that, you know, again, everyone's sharing information uh, across teams and so that everyone's sort of working together. Uh, and you mentioned you're on the platform squad. Mm -hmm. So you are broken into squad. So um, just because I, I find it fascinating, but I, I think, it, you know, the listeners might be interested in how are those squads set up? What are what's the makeup of them? Like, what are the what are the disciplines that are there? Um, you know, just how does that work? Yeah, so within the Direct Shopper Technology team, we have seven different squads right now. But back when we went serverless, we had two squads. We had a back-end and a front-end focused squad. So we largely had Lambda-focused and serverless-focused engineers in one squad and um, React, Fargate, um, Express, and Apollo engineers in, in the front-end focused squad. And then once we went once we launched the platform live, we reorganized all of the squads into being product focused. So they split up into five different squads, each focused on different areas of the site. So that was one squad for checkout, one squad for um, VIP rewards, um, one squad for just exploration and how you discover products and, and so on. And these squads are as full stack as we can get them at the moment. So they're application engineers, QA engineers, the product owners and now we're including stakeholders in there as well. So people from other teams um, that are actually setting these requirements, the, these business requirements. So we've, we've got quite a few people in each of those squads, but we still have a central platform squad. And the reason for that is it's a brand new platform that literally was written and launched a, like a, a year and a couple months ago. So, and, and yeah, so we're still in that pattern of having a dedicated operations or or platform squad, but we're actively trying to move away from that. We're trying to train up each of those application engineers in the in the product squads to become operations focused, to to have that mindset of building things in a way that makes operations easier because next year, they don't know it yet, they're going to be operating <laughs> their services. They're they're going to be the ones on call. They're going to be the ones who have to wake up in the middle of the night. Um, and yeah, that's, that's where we're going. That's awesome. No, I mean, I love that idea too, of cross-functional teams. It's always been a big thing that, um, I shouldn't say always, but more recently has been something that I think works really well. Uh, and I love that idea of, you know, sort of training up the application developers to be responsible, uh, you know, for their applications and are responsible for the servers, right? Cause there's, there are servers, but there are no servers. So, um, you know, so that's, that's, I think an interesting approach. So, um, that, that's be great. I'm going to have to have you back on to tell me how that <laughs> works out, um, later on. Cause, uh, I'll be interested to see that. Um, all right. So 
This idea of you know training up application developers to sort of understand um, you know how to run or to be able to manage their own uh, their own applications, their own stacks, um, and just in terms of making sure that what it is that each team is building now, sort of what you're responsible for on the platform team. Uh, is is sort of, I mean, a big thing here is ensuring best practices, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, to make sure that everything is sort of written in a way that makes sense, that you're not duplicating a lot of code, that anything that can be shared can be shared. Um, uh, again, I think the security aspect of it, the um, uh, what else? I mean, the, the just in terms of maybe middleware and things like that, like the common things that you need to have, um, there are a lot of sort of unknowns in the serverless world, right? I mean, this is something that didn't really exist five years ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and certainly to the level now that people are using managed services, uh, you know, the, the, the amount of knowledge you need, the amount of best practices that has just expanded dramatically. So I'd love to talk about the serverless audit that you did at the Lego group. Um, because again, and again, I'm maybe overusing this word, but I find it fascinating. I love this idea of of being able to say, okay, in our organization, we have a set of best practices, and we're now adopting a new technology that you know we can go to conferences and we can see some of these people talking about this stuff. But in order for it to work for us, in order to make sure that we're the most productive and secure um, and move as quickly as we can, we need to adopt our own standards. So. Let's start right at the beginning. So why, and maybe I gave it away, but why did you say, hey, we need to do this audit um, of all of our serverless applications? Yeah, so it, it's really two reasons why. So the first one is that in order for us to have written so many um, serverless functions over the last year and a half, we've had to have uh, we've had to grow the team. We've got a lot more engineers now. So we went from having around 20 engineers back at, in like July last year. Now we have around 60. So it's a three times increase in the number of engineers in the squad. And they're at all different levels of their careers. They're, they're juniors, mid seniors, and not all of them have been exposed to AWS, let alone serverless and serverless best practices. So when we started building out the new platform, we had some engineers who knew serverless and we had, it was manageable for them to talk to a single architect and have a shared vision of how we were gonna build our services. Now with 60 engineers and still one solutions architect, that's not scalable. And right. so the reason to try and the, yeah, the way that we're trying to share out that knowledge and really um, make sure that we're maintaining that high standard of you know, building, building functions that are scalable and meet all of those requirements of security and, and all of that is really just by writing it down and, and creating a standard. And that's where the audit came from. So we took all of the best practices that we were already doing in our newer services. So every time mm -hmm. we write a service, you improve a little bit here or there. Right. And we just said, okay, all of our new services are implementing these things. Let's write that down. Let's have a look at our old services and see what needs to improve. And so really the audit came out of us having a lot of old services that weren't really being maintained or kept up to date with the new like standard that we were setting with our new services. And so that then came the, the fun of <laughs> auditing <laughs> these 36 right. services that we had last year. Um, and, and yeah, really calling out all of the areas that we needed to improve them on. Um, and we also took the opportunity to start thinking, well, we're growing the team so quickly, we can't have a central operations team anymore either. So there was, at the time there was four infrastructure engineers, if you could believe it, for this global website. Um, and we couldn't handle having from 20 to 60 engineers throwing functions at us. So we took this opportunity to also add in operations related things. So 
making them have canary deployments and basic um, alerting to implement on their services. And this is really setting the stage for where we want to go next year of, well, now you've written these services, now you can you can own them and, and operate them. And yeah, that's that's how the standard came together, both from existing practices and new ones to help operate the services. Right. Now, we were talking the other day and you referred to the older services as legacy serverless applications, which yes. I, <laughs> I think is quite funny because uh, it is amazing. I mean, they're only a couple of years old. You said 2017. Yeah. So just these, these services that are just a few years old. I mean, so much has changed with serverless over the last couple of years. I mean, it, we're, again, we just finished reInvent or we're in the middle of reInvent right now. Um, it, 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 there's so many new things that are happening, and I'm sure these will evolve over time as well. So um, so let's go through the focus areas, because I thought this was a really interesting approach. And uh, and if you're listening to this, take some notes, because honestly, this this is really good. I mean, you your team did an amazing job uh, of sort of outlining what these focus areas should be and, and helping standardize that. And, and so if anybody's listening, um, this is just a roadmap for, for you uh, if you're listening to, to do this. Um, so let's go through that. So what were these eight focus areas? What were the main things that you said, this is what we need to make sure we get right in our serverless applications? So we started out with, um, because we're an infrastructure team and we had the frustration of having to you know, get this operations burden out off of us and, and into the squads, we started with alerting observability and logging guidelines. So those were the three that are really key for if you want to know what's going on with your service and production. If something goes wrong, you need to have observability and traceability through your stack. And you also need the logging to know, you know, if particular transactions or batches have been dropped. Right. So those were the three first focus areas. We then started thinking about how do we get engineers to get their own code into production. So we added, we thought about safety and, and deployment. So deployment mechanism being another focus area that we added in. So I mentioned before canary deployments being, um, uh, yeah, adding in that safety net when you're deploying into production. That's something that we needed to, in order to actually hand off deploying services to the squads. And then the, the others kind of come out of the best practices of what we were already doing in our newer services. So integration testing, making sure that you've written integration tests that are run in the right parts of the pipeline. So unit tests on, on PRs, integration tests at that stage as well, and also in QA and acceptance. We also have a standard around secure, uh, sorry, secrets management. So yeah, the, we've mandated that we use SSM parameter store as our secrets manager, manager. Um, but also we want to use it in a specific way so that it's easier to audit when we come through and, and say, so which service does the secret be, belong to? So we've got, um, yeah, we've got a, a certain naming convention for that. And then there's another thing for middleware. So middleware has made a huge difference to our services where um, one of our developers put it really nicely where um, it takes all of the, um, takes all of the, the, the bits that you always have to do as a developer that yeah, no like matter what strap stuff exactly right? yeah, yeah yeah the the stuff that you're always writing whenever you start up a new service it's middleware takes care of that and then your handler just becomes business logic and that's essentially what 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 we're trying to focus on right we're trying to get our functions to do something with a business outcome and so taking all of that out of the handler makes it not only easier to read um, but it's really focused on um, it tells you exactly what the service does because you can read the handler and it's all there. And then things like, you know, parsing 
like validating that the um, the request that comes through is in the expected format, making right. sure that responses that go out are consistent, things like that. So middleware has been amazing. So that was another focus area to get onto all of our services. And the final one was documentation, which I know it's, it's been around for a while. It's not fun, but it's so important when you're growing a team because what we what we found in, um, directly from, from one of our engineers was saying that you've got new engineers going into these new squads. I've told you we've changed them up two or three times already. We're going to keep changing them up. And so when you're inheriting services or when you're onboarding a new person, not only are you pairing with them, but you can give them a document that says, here's exactly what the service does. Here's how you get it up and running. Here's all of the service limitations around it. Here's the architecture diagram. Um, and so that was really key to, to add into the service audit to make sure that not only can we maintain our services, are they built in the right and according to best practices, but we can also maintain them with new engineers. So right. yeah, that's, that's where we got to with our focus areas. All right. So now you, you come up with these focus areas and this is all based off of learning from multiple years mm -hmm. of implementing this stuff. You're building new, uh, new services. You're learning from that. So you put together this, uh, you know, this set of, of focus areas. And I've worked with a lot of engineering teams. I've worked on a lot of engineering teams. I've managed some engineering teams. And I can tell you, and I'm sure you know this, that uh, the best way to get somebody not to do something is say, hey, here's something that we came up with that you now need to implement. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, and we know better than you. So this is the way that we do it. Um, so that's sort of like, you know, uh, I guess the uh, declaration from on high uh, doesn't always go over well. So how did you take these, you know, all these squads with all these engineers and, and get this, this big of a project or this big of a initiative implemented? Yeah, so the rollout was really interesting. We, we actually had to do it in two phases. So the first way we did it was we conducted the audit, audit within the platform squad. We went through the code base, looked at every single service, compared them with each of the, the checkboxes in the checklist and raised tickets for each of them. So if we saw that there was no alerting on that service, then we raised the ticket, linked it back to our guidelines and said, implement these alerts as a basic level. Um, the same thing about Canary, same thing for every of each of the focus areas. So we ended up with a bunch of JIRA tickets that then went out to all of the squads that owned each of these services. And then they sat yeah. in the backlog. And I was going to say, <laughs> how did, and how did that go? Yeah, didn't go too well. Um, we, I mean, you, we went and, you know, talked to all of the product owners. We um, did demos on why we were putting in each of these tickets for each of these services. But it was still in a time when we had just formed these squads. We had just told them that they were owning these services. And now we were throwing tickets at them saying, you own this service now, can you please fix yeah. it? Um, and so, yeah, that, that sat for a couple months. And then we got onto the, um, we then tried to like reinvent our approach and go, okay, let's focus on one overarching goal. We just want observability. We just need to know exactly what's going on in our platform. And that went really well. So we just said to each of the squads, can you just implement our monitoring um, and traceability tool. You just need to do, here's, an, here's a guide on exactly how to do it. Um, and here's, and we did a, a couple demos on, you know, here's all the benefits, here's all of the information that gets pulled out of them. Um, and that really started to gain traction. We, it, I think within the first three months, we had a couple services on, within six months, we had even more. And now we're, so this was um, back in March when, when we started that rollout. And now in December, we have all of our services into our monitoring tool. And not only that, the ones who adopted it early are in and creating their own dashboards and using these metrics already. And 
off their own initiative. So we haven't given them any guidance, guidance or, or um, motivation to go and start, you know, actually owning and operating their um, their services. We're still trying to focus on the last few to, you know, get, get, get your get your logs right. and, and your monitoring in. Um, yeah, the, the ones who adopted it early are already taking it and running with it, which is amazing and exactly where we wanted to go. So, yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Hi, everyone. I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Epsigon. Epsigon enables teams to instantly simplify, visualize, and understand what's happening with their complex microservice architectures. With their comprehensive, lightweight auto instrumentation, users are able to eliminate the gaps in data and manual work associated with other APM solutions, providing significant reduction in issue detection, troubleshooting, and resolution times. Epsigon aggregates and correlates data from all the third-party tools you love, delivering a single pane of glass for understanding serverless, containers, Kubernetes, and more. Engineers now know when something is wrong and can immediately trace issues to root cause before they affect production. Increase development efficiency and reduce application downtime with Epsigon. As a special for Serverless Chats listeners, if you try out Epsigon and connect your first trace today, they'll hook you up with one of their awesome t-shirts. Check it out at epsigon.com slash serverless chats. All right, so then the other thing is, and this is probably people asking this question, is there's something called uh, you know, the well-architected framework. You know about this, um, and you know about the, the serverless lens for this. Um, so I think this came slightly after you started working on this auditing process. So um, what did you do to kind of, um, you know, now AWS is publishing a bunch of standards saying, hey, here's how we're supposed to do it. Now, I think that it's very broad, right? It's very, you know, it's, it doesn't get into the weeds. It doesn't, um, uh, it is very helpful. But um, so how did you sort of reconcile, you know, sort of those eight focus areas you had with, you know, the serverless lens that came out? Yeah, so, so it's quite interesting, actually, because um, preparing for our talk, the AWS Well-Architected Framework has been out for about four or five years already, um, and it was across all of the AWS best practices and, right. and services, and very, very generic. And it was really just a guide and guideline. You came across it in the certifications and things like that. Then the serverless lens came along, and it, it was really focused around best practices in the serverless space, but still something you only really encounter when you're getting guidance from architects or um, in the certification process. Then they launched the, it was the well-architected tool, so different from framework, where they right. integrated it into the AWS console. And I think that was in 2018, I believe. And, and that was really just a checklist where you could um, check through and say you've considered these things. And then the bit that came just after we implemented our audit was the serverless lens as part of that tool. So the serverless lens was around when we were creating this. Um, it's just that we we weren't overly aware of it. But when the blog post came out saying it was part of the tool, then we realized, oh, we could use this and and see um, maybe it can highlight some some gaps in in our in our audit process because we weren't really seeing the serverless lens as an audit. It, it was more like you know guidance on how to write a good service. Right. And then and then we had to think about what our audit was. Oh, it's guidelines of how we build good services. So there is there was an overlap for sure. And when we did the comparison, we realized actually we have two gaps um, or like two pillars that we haven't really covered in our um, serverless audit. And so that's giving us um, a, like somewhere else to to really go and define and and call out for our engineering team. And I mean, on reflection, the reason that those gaps are in our audit is because we're already doing them. <laughs> right. So 
you know how I said that the the guidance, um, like the, the well-architected and the serverless lens guidance is built into the core principles of how you build on AWS well. And so because we've had a core AWS architect in the team from the beginning, because um, anyone who's gone through the certification process is vaguely aware of each of these pillars, you know, operational excellency, performance, cost optimization, right. reliability, security, we're already building really well in those spaces. And so we didn't feel the need to bring our older services up to date in those spaces. So that's why we haven't, um, you know, explicitly defined what we do in those spaces. We already have practices and patterns that are best practice for us. And so long as you're following those patterns, you're doing okay. Um, but it, for completeness, it's really good for us to add it to the standard because I don't know, maybe we won't always have an AWS architect and who knows the, those guidelines, those, maybe we switch to a new service, they won't always be the same. So yeah, the, the, that will be like our next evolution of the, of the audit. Right. And I, and that's one of the things that I actually really liked, um, about how you kind of built your own standard first and then took the well-architected framework and said, where does this fit in? And maybe like, where do we have those gaps? Cause I think that is a good, is sort of a good way to do it. I mean, the, the well-architected framework and the serverless lens specifically, I mean, it's really just a bunch of questions, right? It, it isn't like, here's exactly how you do it. It's just, have you considered these things and, you know, and you kind of check them off. Um, so let's just quickly talk about that, where those overlaps were and how you took a you took one of these pillars and said, OK, we're going to go a little bit deeper and we're going to add additional standards to it. So um, so let's start with the operational excellency pillar. So what what else did you add sort of as part of your audit uh, on top of that? Yeah, so it's really about um, what did we define as, as right. within this pillar? So. Within that pillar, there were one, two, three, four, five focus areas. So alerting, observability, and logging. So everything around operations. And then also the bits around how to get your service into production. So the deployment part, deployment mechanism, and integration testing. So all of those five focus areas were within the operational excellency pillar. And that's because that was always held centrally within the infrastructure team, within the platform mm -hmm. squad. And so we really had to define this is how we do it because we were about to get all of the application engineers to do it on their own. So, so yeah, that, that's why we had so much um, definition within that pillar. Right. And then the security pillar. Yep. So security pillar would be, was the secure, sorry, secrets management focus <laughs> area. Um, really most of the way that we were building was already following some pretty secure patterns. Um, I mean, it's an e-commerce shop. We have to be pretty secure from the get-go. Um, and it was really th that tidy up of how we manage our secrets. Okay. And then the reliability pillar. Yep. So reliability and the next one, the performance pillar are the ones where we haven't defined um, guidance around them because, yeah, as I said before, our services were built to be pretty performant and pretty reliable. Right. E-commerce, e throwing them through Black Friday, Cyber Monday. So, yeah. Right. Now, is that something it, within that pillar, though, I mean, thinking about, you know, resiliency mm -hmm. um, or chaos engineering, you know, things like that, or just even request rates and stuff like that. That's all stuff, though, that's sort of being considered um, within your audit, right? So, yeah, again, within our audit explicitly is, um, yeah, areas of the services that we needed to bring up to speed for our older services. The ones that are being built now are following our existing patterns and um, gotcha. and so they're they're still quite implicit. So long as you're following one of the pattern architectural patterns that we've set out that we've proven work for us, um, then yeah, reliability and performance kind of come along with that. 
Um, and, and yeah, the next evolution of the audit will want to define and, and explore each of those areas. So we do have chaos engineering on the roadmap and, and that should um, be part of our exploration into the reliability pil pillar of defining what do we do now to, to increase our reliability, but what can we do in the future? And so chaos engineering is going to be part of that. All right. All right. So then cost optimization, the cop op uh, cost optimization pillar, that's one of those things where, I mean, maybe, I, I mean, I've always thought about costs, right? Because I've always been, you know, very early in companies and, and having to think about that and infrastructure costs. I think as companies get bigger, engineers don't typically think about that. And I had a guest, Eric Peterson, who said, you know, every line of code an engineer writes for the cloud, they're making a cost decision, which I mm. think is a, you know, sort of a brilliant way to think of it. So um, from a cost standpoint, what what did you implement there? So within our audit, we only have the middleware component. And specifically, this adds to our cost optimization because we use the SSM middleware. So SSM or the parameter store, there are two tiers. There's a free and a paid tier. And we've had to opt into the paid tier purely because of the, the rate limiting that is on the free tier. So by introducing MIDI, by caching secrets when a container starts up rather than on each Lambda invocation saves us quite a lot. And we are, we're doing a lot more in cost optimization on the infrastructure side, on the, the supporting infrastructure for our Fargate containers rather than our serverless services because they're pretty performant already. Um, mm -hmm. And so, so yeah, that's, that's why we don't have too much more in the cost optimization area for our engineers to pick up on just yet. Right. Right. And I know, I know your team uses EventBridge quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's all kinds of pricing around. I, so uh, I just think that's an interesting way um, or an interesting thing for developers to start thinking about is how, you know, what services I use and, and how that's going to affect overall cost when sort of building out and planning that stuff. So very interesting there. Um, okay. So uh, in terms of, so you, you started getting people implementing it. It sounds like you're, you're doing, you know, pretty well with that, which is amazing because that in and of itself, getting your engineers to adopt something new is a, is a huge, um, is a huge hurdle. Um, but what about like, some of the challenges people have faced or like what are the responses you're getting from um, these developers? Because I know they're doing it, right? But what like what what has been sort of the impact on, I guess, just, you know, performance or, or morale or just how people are sort of dealing with it? Yeah. And as a platform squad, our customers are the engineers. Um, right. And so their feedback is paramount to how we approach anything, really. And that's why we had to change our approach right at the start of Instead of putting tickets into their backlog, we had to reframe it as, let's just know what's happening in our platform. That's something that everyone can align with, right? I mean, if you're going to put a service out there, you kind of want to, whoever's operating it, whether it's yourself or another team, you want to help them know what's going on. So that was an easy one for them to really align with and, and get on board with, which was great. And then, as I, as I mentioned before, off their own back, they then started using it themselves, which was amazing. Right. Um, and and also jumping on on more of the of the audit categories and saying, okay, well that was really useful. What else is in this audit? What else can I do? Um, and so like half of the services have alerting on them now, even though we haven't made that what as our key focus to to get rolled out. And so yeah, it, it was really that feedback of you know, silence for the first part. And then they, they started getting on board and, and adopting it quicker and quicker. And then not only did they start implementing other parts of the audit, they started adding into the audit. So they they added in the documentation thing. That, that wasn't in there from the start. Um, there's also something about shared code. So when 
we we have a mono repo structure, and so shared code tends to be um, using learner namespacing. We would refer to it as you know at namespace slash um, shared code package, and that that's tricky when you look at how we release code because if you make an update to that package, it then triggers off the pipelines for all of those um, services. Yeah. So right. it, it gets a bit messy tracking what's what's going on. So We've published our shared code as private GitHub packages, and and now one of the squads has added that into the audit of use <laughs> use the GitHub packages if yeah. um, if you're going to use any of the shared code. So that's something that as an infrastructure or a platform squad we we don't really see that um, too much, and and so it's really the engineers who are adding in those aspects of things that we we wouldn't consider, but are definitely you know, part of a really like best practices when you're writing services. It's it's a, a mesh of infrastructure and, and engineering, right? Um, and so, yeah, that those are that's kind of the the spectrum of reactions of of how we've rolled it out. And then one team has actually said, okay, we're going to own this. We're going to take all of these um, tickets that you've given us at the start of the year, and we're going to put them into a roadmap and a timeline. And they, they listed out all of their services, all of the audit categories added in their own that, you know, were um, really just opinionated as part of their, their squad. So they decided that they wanted all of their functions to be named. They didn't want any default exports, which, yeah, good thing to have. Um, and they put it into a timeline. They set themselves deadlines. This was not imposed from any other squad, let alone the platform squad. And they delivered it. And, and now all of their services are pretty compliant with, with the audit. And they inherited, I think, three or four old services that they knew nothing about beforehand. Um, and yeah, they, they learned the services, they put in the test, the um, all of the things to bring it up to speed, and now they can operate their services. So yeah. Now, so that's, so I was, uh, I'm just curious, because you, you said, I think you had 36 services that, that you were applying the audit to, and I'm sure they were all in sort of different levels of, you know, sort of compliance, just because as they were being built. but. How did you balance, or maybe, and hopefully you can answer this, but how did the teams balance sort of that idea of going back and refactoring all this code as well as continuing to move forward to support new features and, and things like that? Like, I mean, how do you get to that sort of operational maturity, but still balance, um, you know, this idea of, of, of still, you know, releasing new features? Yeah, that's something that we've had to tackle with each squad. So each squad has their own PO with their own... Um, I guess, idea of what should be prioritized, um, delivering features or engineering work and, and how you strike that balance. And each squad has, has found their own balance. Um, I don't think any two squads have been the same. So I mentioned that one squad who raised the, um, created their tech investment roadmap. They, they were building features all the way up until I think it was September. And then they switched and said, okay, we're going to bring in, I think it was like 30% tech investment for every single sprint and, until they got it done. Wow. And so they they were fairly structured in their approach. There are some squads who um, just brought in one or two tickets every sprint. There were some squads who didn't pick it up at all and, and have kind of made the last push right at the end. So it it, it was, we re re really left it up to each of the squads to figure out how they wanted to strike that balance with, you know, the the one overriding goal of we just want to know what's going on in the platform. If you can help us there as a minimum, that's great. And right. most all, all, all of the squads helped us achieve that. And some of the squads went way beyond. So, yeah. Yeah. 
That's awesome. All right, so let's let's talk about the middleware again um, for a second because this is another thing where uh, I know it was always a big frustration in the past was you know you're bootstrapping new services and it's you're you're doing the same thing over and over and over again and the promise of serverless or at least one of the promises of serverless was just write your code, focus on your code, um, and so there's a lot of different ways that you can bring in um, you know you can bring in some of the bootstrapping stuff whether that's with layers or custom uh, custom images and now they just released <laughs> you know containers so now sure. you could have you know your own packages or your own containers uh, or base layers that you could or base containers that you could use. Uh, so you chose the middleware route. So how is that How is that sort of implemented? And what, what are the things that that does? So we chose middleware before layers were even introduced. So that's, that's another thing that maybe we'll switch over to layers. Who knows? Um, so at the moment, what middleware does is it gives us a consistent way to handle errors, to manage logging, and also to manage secrets. So those are the three middlewares that we have um, customized and um, have implemented on most of our services, and the rest are covered by the service audit. So yeah, it's it's giving us a consistent logger so that when you're looking in our logging system, which merges all of the logs for all of our applications together, you can filter it out consistently and performantly as well, um, because there's a there's a way that you can log structured logging where you can say you know function name is this and logging level is that. And having that consistent across all of the services makes it a lot easier to go and um, cross-reference and, and find areas that are affecting multiple services. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so that's a that's an interesting thing where when you start standardizing things, and again, the audit process, I think, again, it's just, it's clear cut. It makes a lot of sense. Like once people start using it, you said, you know, the developers were like, oh, well, we could do more things. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned documentation as one of those things where the developers just said, hey, you know what, this is great, but we need to add some documentation to this process. Like what other, I mean, did the development teams come up with other improvements? Like did they adopt new standards or other things that they kind of push back up to the to the top? Yeah, so I mentioned the thing around shared code and, and um, introducing the standard to, to use right. published packages. Um, I'm trying to think of if there was more. We added in another one around doing... Um, no, I'm not sure about that one. Yeah, I think it, the main one that was added was around how we handle shared code. Um, and it's it's really exciting to see that engineers are actually going back and feeling that empowerment to go and, you know, update or even add to an audit. Um, some of the focus areas that we had written from a platform perspective, they went and rewrote after we had paired and, and taught them what to do. They wrote it in a way that made way more sense to them because, right. yeah, it's, it, it's different when you've come from an infrastructure background and when you've come from a engineering or development background, the, the words don't have the same meanings and, um, the way that you phrase things is is slightly different. And so rewriting it into their own words means that it's going to be a lot easier for the next engineer who comes along who has to adopt it. So right. yeah, th those have been some of the really great contributions back into the audit. And we're hoping that it's not something that the platform team have to add to anymore at all. We're hoping that it's going to be maintained by the application engineers who, you know, they're they're the ones who have been building up all of these patterns and practices already, we kind of just put it into our own words and said, here, we, we wrote it down. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm hoping that as they keep keep building and improving their services, they keep adding it, adding it in. I mean, one of one of the squads I know is using um, Lambda pre-warming 
on on their services. Yeah. So rather than using provision concurrency, they actually have a, a package that's going and triggering their Lambda to make sure that at least one or two containers are warm. That's something that if if they find that it's really giving them an, an improvement on their cold start times, maybe they'll add it into the audit to, for something that um, for, you know, specifically for um, services that aren't invoked often, but often enough to have right. like a really big impact on cold start time. Maybe they'll add it into the audit too. So yeah, we're hoping it becomes a living thing that the engineering team keep and uses, I guess, a way for them to communicate with each other because they're different right. product squads, right? We, we need to try and figure out how to share the knowledge that each of the different squads are gaining when they're building new things. So this, this is one mechanism to try and centralize that. Right. Now, have you standardized around like a particular programming language or is it just whatever the squad wants to use? So, yeah, we, we started off with one or two squads, right? And so we said everything is written in Node.js and the front end has React and Node.js. So that's that's the, the languages that have been selected and we're sticking with them. Right. It seems to be seems to be popular, although some people do like to jump into, you know, Go or Python or something like that. Yeah, but, and I'm, I mean, um, it's, every language is fit for a certain purpose, right? So right. If, we, if we run into a situation where we need where one of the other languages suits us better, um, because it, it's balancing that need of being able to have any engineer maintain any part of the platform. So, you know, having everything written in a standard language, or is does this thing really need to be performant? Does it really need to do a specific thing, in which case it kind of has to be written in another language? Then that's when we'll start making those calls. But at the moment, we want every engineer to maintain any part of the platform. Yeah, no, and I, I like that. I like the fact that the front end and the back end are both essentially written in JavaScript. It's just mm -hmm. that way, especially with cross-functional teams, I mean, yeah. even if somebody has to go in and make a small change on either side, I mean, it's it's just sort of good to have. So, mm -hmm. um, all right, that's awesome. So what about sort of advice to others? I mean, you, you know, and, and when I say others, I mean, other engineers maybe that are getting an audit or some sort of thing, you know, sort of like, hey, you need to do this, um, but also to the teams that were like you that are that are trying to implement these standards to make, um, you know, the quality of your applications better to make the standards better, the best practices better. Um, you know, so what, what's some of that advice that, that you might be able to give to people? I mean, the core advice, whether you're on the receiving end or the, I guess, implementation end of this kind of thing is empowerment. So feel that you are empowered to really make a difference and make, make your services better. And don't feel like anything is, don't try to make it an imposed standard. Make it something that is there to help. Because the, the main thing around this checklist is if you do these things, you can own and operate your services. You'll be able to find the bugs quickly when you're under pressure. That's, that's what we're trying to empower our engineers to have in their mindset of um, you can build good, good services and here's our you know, tips and tricks on, on how to do that. If you follow these right. things, we know that they work. And so, yeah, it's really about taking, yeah, taking that line of we're here to help. We're here to empower you to do good things and do great things and not have to, you know, try and guess at if I do this, is, is that going to work? Um, or, yeah, if, if I do this, will that work with the whole the whole stack that we've got because no one can know any every part of the platform right um and so yeah that's that's really been the consistent message that i would like would want to get across with this process of 
if you're implementing it, make sure make sure it comes through from an empowerment and an enabling enabling perspective of this is what you should know and, and here's some starting points on how to do it. And if you're on the receiving end, maybe don't wait to be on the receiving end. Maybe start writing <laughs> down what your best practices are and say, you know, start sharing it out, start sharing the knowledge because once you start leveling up as a team, then you know your your whole platform benefits, right? So Right. So yeah, and also keep it as a living document. It, best practices don't stay still. So I mentioned that we implemented middleware before layers were even introduced. We now have um, a layer as part of the standard because our monitoring system has written a layer. And so the standard right. has been evolved to implement this layer, implement middleware for other things. Maybe maybe the things in middleware will move into layers as well. So keep these up to date. Keep keep them as the, the document of Here's what a good service is for your team. Um, and then any new joiners, any anyone looking at <laughs> legacy serverless applications, if you have them, um, right. knows what to do. So, yeah. Right. Love that. Great advice. Um, all right. Last thing. Uh, you said it's a living document you, or it's a living pro, you know, it's, a, it's an ongoing thing. Um, you mentioned, you know, chaos engineering on your roadmap. What else? What else? Are, what are the what are the other things that the Lego group is considering adding to this process? So this process started at the start of this year, right? It was a big table in Confluence. It's got, it's very hard coded. It's very manual. The, the most automation we have is we've linked Jira tickets so that they automatically get ticked off when they're done. Um, it's not great. It, it, the actual implementation of the process is not great. The, the outcomes are amazing. So what we want to do with this is actually take, um, figure out how we can show all of our engineers, all of the services they own, what state they're in according to our audit. So, you know, you can maybe give each service a score and say we're, you're lagging behind a little bit on operations. So it's written really well, but you're gonna find it a bit hard to operate. Um, or maybe it's written well, it, it's really easy to operate, but a new person will have no idea what's going on when they join, so get that documentation up. Um, we want to try and figure out how to get that feedback back to our squads in, in an application that's not yet another application, right? So we're trying to figure out where that fits within our ecosystem. And then I've got this secret. Um, it's not really a secret anymore. I, I talked about it in a conference. I want to put a leaderboard in. So I want to make it competitive. I want to make it a point of pride of, you know, my service is the best in the platform, that kind of thing. And and I'm hoping that that will drive, you know, put a bit more fun around an audit process, you know, um, and yeah, really drive our platform to continually be better. And I mean, if a new team introduces a new standard that then tanks all of the other squad scores, <laughs> I mean, I'm all up for it. You're continually improving, right? right? <laughs> there you go. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that is, that's amazing. And like I said, honestly, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about anything even remotely close to this, this is a great sort of roadmap for you. Um, and I think your uh, the talk from Serverless Days Virtual is up. Um, you can get it, I think, search uh, serverlessdays.io or virtual.serverlessdays.io. You can find that. Um, so again, Nicole, thank you so much for being here, for sharing this, for continuing to do this great work. And and, uh, and again, putting this information out there is awesome because again, I think it can help a lot of teams. Um, so if people want to get uh, hold of you, uh, how do they do that? Yep. So the best place to find me is on Twitter at pelicanpi88. Um, I know it doesn't resemble my name, but I picked it several years ago. Um, and LinkedIn as well, if, if you want to talk to me on a professional level, um, but mainly Twitter for AWS and serverless stuff. And I guess right. the 
the main message here is DevOps is a journey. Infrastructure is a journey. We're, I'm just kind of sharing where we are right now. Um, and I'd love to hear more stories about where, where everyone else is at the moment in, in their journey. So, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. All right. And then don't forget to check out um, the Lego Engineering Medium blog. Um, that's at medium.com slash lego dash engineering. Um, and then, of course, lego.com. Um, you might, uh, this will probably be after Christmas. You won't have time to put your orders in, but maybe <laughs> some nice January, um, uh, some January Lego purchases for the, for the kids and family. So, again, Nicole, thank you so much. I'll put all the stuff in the show notes. Uh, it was great having you. Thank you for having me. This was a great talk. And that's this week's serverless chat. I want to give a huge thank you to Nicole Yip for being my guest this week and to our sponsor, Epsigon. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 82. For more serverless chats, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can connect with me on Twitter at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me and I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.